podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Yes, guys, welcome back to the Canon Podcast. Today is just me and George. Alex, unfortunately, can't make it. But George, an intriguing game against PSV, let's just say. But the Arsenal fans weren't happy, and not with the result, but with Mikel not using a few youngsters. Mm. What do you think of that? What do you think of Mikel not going to, you know, to Waters, Sosa and Wanieri, but taking them out there for the experience? A lot of fans, especially Mr. Alexander Moneypenny, as in Mr. Different Knock, was very angry on the X. He was talking about how, you know, if this is not the time, then when is it? I can understand the frustration, but, you know, I, I look at it. I see it personally as Mikel doesn't trust them quite yet in a certain environment, unless we're winning 3-0, like we were against Brentford when he brought on Wanieri. But of course, you know you've lot you watched a lot of the Arsenal young players over the years, and you know how good these play, these players are. So, what do you make of Mikel not turning to them instead of going to the likes of El Nenny and Cedric from the start? Yeah, so I think that you've got to balance the opinion with two things, okay. right? Well, one, I don't believe that Mikel is willing to trust youth as many as much as other uh, managers in general. And you can use the Pep example in terms of the number of debuts. I think that was Alex's main point across maybe a similar time period, how many debuts did he actually give? And from that standpoint, I'm in agreement. I'm annoyed. I don't think that some of the players, for example, a Mario Cozier-Dewberry, who rocks up with 17-plus goal and assist last season in the youth, and then you have the last game of the season against Wolves, that you have no, uh, no, no issues riding on. You don't give a debut to an academy youngster who you have deemed good enough to play against Leon um, six months before against men. So that logic doesn't line up to me, and I get the frustrations on some specific cases like that. What I don't understand, though, is how him not playing in this game therefore means the 16, 17-year-olds will never get a chance, won't get a chance. That's that's an extreme on the other end, right? And so that's where I kind of dissuade myself. I'm annoyed that the boys didn't get enough opportunities in general, but I would make that a squad critique and a Mikel critique in general. But on this specific game, look, I understood it. In terms of PSV, they haven't lost at home in something like over two years in Europe, right? Um, You're looking at a team that already had something like eight changes to the regular lineup. It's not just first team environments. When you look at Nguyenary, when he came on, he wasn't in a changed 11. He came on with majority regular starters. And so you, you have to introduce youth at the right time. And I will say this, Lino Sousa and Ruel Walters are very different to me than Ethan Winnery, despite their ages and their readiness for the first team and their readiness for first team action. You have to remember that you arrive once. And so that calculus needs to be taken into account. Um, it doesn't mean that your career is over for poor performance, but it does mean that you don't unnecessarily expose youth to uh, a poor introduction. Look at Arthur Aconquo. People were talking about how he was nowhere near ready when, in fact, he's a brilliant prospect, brilliant keeper that's had brilliant performances on loan um, at Rexford and as well, Sturm Gratz. But, you know, our first look at him in preseason was the mistake and everyone paints him as such. So you don't want to do that. I just think that there needs to be some balance to the whole situation where we can be frustrated that the overall debutants of youth haven't been great. But on the whole, recognize that just because they haven't played in this game doesn't mean then that, you know, Mikel is opposed to youth integration as a whole, which I don't think is what Alex is doing, but is what I'm seeing across the timeline quite a bit right now, where the argument is, well, if not here or in the dead rubber against Law after 6-0, when? And the one thing that I do agree with in general, and I kind of made this point earlier in the pod before, where if you're going to play somebody like a Cedric Suarez, right? 
you know the mistake in a 30 to 31 year old player that doesn't have a future with the club. That's the one frustration, right? So if you invest in somebody like a youth prospect and they do make a mistake, you're investing in that mistake as being fixable, as being contributable to the club down the line. Cedric Suarez making a mistake, which is very likely because we know who he is. We know what kind of player he is. He's 30, 31. You, you're not learning anything new and you're not contributing to the club whatsoever. So that's like the one situation I understand there being a little bit of frustration on. But of course, you've got to make sure it makes sense. You know, Ruel Walters, does it make sense to have him introduced as a right back? Is that what position you want down the line? Does he need to operate as a high and wide fullback, by the way, which he really isn't? That's not the real profile he is. So it makes sense to use Cedric Suarez, right? So it's a little bit more nuanced for me to, to get off the fence. I think in general, Mikel can do a lot better job about debuting youngsters generally. True. I don't think that this one game means that the youngsters are forever banished to the to the land of uh, or the island of misfit toys. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I feel like what it is is training is a massive part, and I and I said it because the only youngster that he has given a debut this season is Charles Saga Jr. And what was the reason behind that? He, he said that he was training like a beast, and he saw something in his eyes. And I think maybe Mikel sees the works of Wanyeri, Sosa, etc. in training and doesn't see them not even just stand out but I guess survive at the level that he wants them in the Champions League game as you said at PSV who are not just unbeaten at home but they, I think they have a 100% record this season in the Eredivisie so they're a very good team yeah. right and you put in these youngsters from yeah. the get-go and Oster fans are very quick to you know give these guys chances but I'm telling you if there was a poor performance fans would be saying oh he's not ready well that's fair enough you know one year he's 16 16 17 and uh, even the likes of Walters at 18 yet you know you, you look at Man City who they played yesterday I think it's Oscar Bob I'm pretty sure he's mm -hmm. a bit older. And he, if I'm right in saying he's played for his national team as well. So, he's international, yeah. So I think it's a, it's a level of experience. And I think if Wanyeri was 19, 20, I think it'd be a no-brainer. And I think the real test for me is going to be Charlie Patino. He's going to come back next season. And he's at an age where he should be a part of the first-team squad more prominently. He can be used more as a squad player, maybe as a starter in the future. And I think that's what we'll see. And we've seen it in the past. And I spoke about this on the, on the instant reaction. I talked about how this reminds me a lot of William Saliba. And Mikel not playing, playing Saliba despite, you know, so many fans being onto him. Like, why are you not starting Saliba in games, you know, in the, in the Carabao Cup? And eventually, when the time came right, we see Saliba now and you go, hang on a minute. Made a little bit of sense. So, um, I'm willing to give Mikel the benefit of doubt on the youngsters. And I don't think it's as deep as me people are making it out to be. You know, okay, cool. You know, we didn't get to see some young players get their, play a few minutes and do what? It's not like they were going to break into the first team this season anyways. Like, I, I don't know what it... Well, Mm -hmm. there, there's this like push to do it I feel because people have heard about these names but haven't actually watched them and there's a lot of frustration because there's player or well there's fans out there that want to see is the hype or is the talk true like I need to see these players because I haven't had a chance to mm -hmm. and so that gets projected onto Mikel I think a lot of times um, but look I, I must say when you look at because even Hamilton came on for a debut in terms of City um, and, you know, there there are other examples where in Zane Emery at PSG, who is thriving and who is an insane talent. So there's there's never like a hard rule on talent, I would say. One thing I'll end on is youth talent is never linear and it's entirely unique. Yep. Some players are ready at a specific moment. Some people are ready uh, to play early. Some people are ready to play late. Reese Nelson himself, who we'll get on to for a brilliant performance his his performance levels weren't always like this. Two to three years ago, you could say that Reese Nelson, despite being the golden child of Hale End for his specific generation, was stalling. 
there was real fear that Reese Nelson could maybe not make a career, not just at Arsenal, but as a real top five league. You know, he was doing okay at Feyenoord, but he wasn't pulling up trees. And so the the pathway for youth is very different. Bakayo Saka, very different trajectory. Emile Smith-Rowe, we still have these debates right now. So I think that the debate will never go away. I do think that Mikel needs to get a little bit better in terms of debutant and just seniority in general, though, right? Like I look at even the point with Alexander Lacazette and Aubameyang when we were crying out for Eddie and Kedia to get more opportunities. And at the end of the season, he makes a comment that he hasn't used Eddie and Kedia in the right way or in the manner he deserved, right? So he's still learning as a manager, by the way. And for somebody that is the youngest manager in the league, like you're going to get those 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 points where you're, you're not sure when to introduce that is an experience thing as a coach right but again I just think you need to balance it it doesn't mean that you know the youth are forever banished and it also doesn't mean that Mikel's not willing to change or evolve or that he can't and you can critique that you know Mikel can be critiqued but um it's just it's just weighing that balance right mm, and it is and I think as you said it's what some players get you know they they grow later and we talked about him there, Reese Nelson. I mean, that was a tremendous performance. Stats-wise, crazy. And we're talking five dribbles completed, yeah. 11 ground duels won. Wow. It was a real monster performance of a wide forward. And you look at that performance, you say to yourself, you know, as, as great as Trossard is as a player, when it comes to playing that wide on the left-hand side and that explosive winger that Arsenal fans just associate Arsenal with, Trossard isn't that profile as much as Nelson is. And it, it, you kind of ask the question of what is Nelson not doing for him to get more minutes in the first team, not just in the, as a starter, but off the bench. You know, how often does Mikel turn to Nelson? You look at the game against Villa, the fact that he took the Trossard before Nelson on that left-hand side. I think if we what we've seen this season is Trossard's a lot more comfortable centrally and Nelson's more comfortable wide. And I think maybe Mikel needs to trust Reese a lot more. But is, is there something that Reese is not doing maybe that is why Mikel's not trusting him? I don't know if it's what Reese isn't doing, but it kind of comes down to the seniority. It also Trissard in general hasn't been poor. Like uh, in terms of the appearances that he's got, his impact on games is very, very consistent. So I think Mikel, I, I think needs to become a bit more specific with his subs. I will say that. For example, you made a point about how Trissard is very good centrally. We know that. Well, for me, he should be exclusively used as either a false nine or as a left eight. And if you do use him as a left wing, he can only be paired with a significant overlapping presence, right? Because that pushes him inside. We know he's not a touchline winger. He doesn't have the same running power in terms of uh, continuing the sprint in longer than 10 to 15 yards. That's the biggest difference between the two. And also, I do think that, you know, Reese has a little bit more about him 1v1, of course, in terms of fixing his opponent and about, you know, creating separation. He's more of a true rank winger in that sense, right? Um, but... I think Reese is knocking on the door, mate. Like, that was an incredible performance. It wasn't a one-off. He's been doing it consistently, where in each of his cameos, he looks like a player that's ready to make an impact, ready to impact the game. And I think he took a step up. Um, you know, against PSV, for me, he was controlling the tempo of a game. You could see him asking players to hold off, tell them when to pass, and he was just controlling the flow, right? Whenever he received the ball, he was telling people when, where to pass, when to penetrate, he was really organizing our attack and he took on a real leadership responsibility in that team. Um, and so I, I'm asking the question, um, you know, I'll maybe throw it even to you yourself, like Reese Nelson as a, as a profile, right? I think McKellen needs to, to stop thinking first attacker off the bench, but first roll off the bench. So if you want a touchline winger, Reese is the first option, not Trissard, right? If you want a specific change of, of a Jesus profile, 
then sure, Troussard makes a little bit more sense. You know, if you want somebody, I don't know, uh, if you want maybe a little bit more presence up top and you want to go over the top of a press, then yeah, sure, Havertz makes sense as a striker there. I just want him to get a little bit more specific in his subs and not just think, okay, first attacking sub, I need to go to the most informed attacking player. And, mm-hmm. and I want him to fit that role a little bit better because I don't think he's perfect at that yet. Yeah, he seems to lean a lot more to experience than, you know, maybe the profile. That, that why Trossard, Jorginho get more minutes off the bench than the likes of Nelson. And I think that's a massive part for what he wants. And maybe in terms of Nelson's positioning at times, as Alex, Alex spoke about it on the, on the instant reaction of how maybe it's movement. Maybe it's something very basic where we're not seeing it as... We think it's nothing that massive, but for Mikel, it's a massive fundamental. And probably we have that's why I think Eddie and Kitter get so many minutes for Arsenal because he has those fundamentals in terms of movement, in terms of where to be, where to receive. And it's massive for Mikel Arteta. But we did see a bit of a surprise sub. Not really, well, for me, it was a surprise seeing your boy, our boy, Declan, playing as a centre back. Do you, do you honestly mm. feel like, you know, as an emergency option, could he do a job there? Of course he could. I mean, he broke out in the team as a center back. That's that's something that I talked about in terms of an emergency versatility. Do you know what's being mad? a potential center Before back. there was Rice, there was Reese Oxford. Very similar. Don't you remember? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah he did a job on Mesut Ozil, yeah. remember? Yeah, that on his debut. That, that. <laughs> Things could be very different. But um, very <laughs> Exactly. Um, no, I, but I think in general, like Rice has that capability. And he has that long switch on him, the consistency of those long switches either side that make it really, really potent for him to be operating that position. Um, look, he's he's just a world-class player. He's going to look great at center back. He's going to look great at full back. He'll look great anywhere on the pitch. I think that it um, just what you lose with Rice not central. And by the way, I'll just briefly talk about even our previous league game. Like I thought he took up more Ben White positions in the buildup, right? He even took the wide of the three there as well. And Ben was a little bit higher up the pitch in our last Premier League game, right? So um, against Villa. So I, I just think that Declan Rice as a whole, you lose more in midfield than what you gain in defense about it. So it's never going to be a decision that you make, you know, with people all fit, of course, right? But in an emergency situation, he's definitely the best uh, Saliba replacement that we currently have in the squad. When you talk about central center back taking responsibility, Gabriel, I don't think, covered himself in glory as a central center back. Um, you know, he still doesn't understand the angles quite as bit, and he doesn't understand the composure or the tempo as much as a Declan would. So I think, like, if we did have a major injury in the back and we did need to restructure basically Saliba, um, we need to keep Gabriel as the aggressor in the back line, not the tempo setter. And so you'd have to move Declan back and you'd have to restructure the top a little bit more um, with some changes. But um, you do lose something. Declan is just such a unicorn that he's able to cover so many different positions, so many different angles. So um, he, he's always going to be the better choice, I think, in, in an emergency situation. But I would like us to not have that uh, reliability because I would love us to buy somebody that we think can do the role. Cough, cough, a certain Diamande in the rough could be something that you could look at. Well, we'll talk about that in a sec, but let's talk about the Champions League. And the potential of how Arsenal could win it. Now, George, I'm going to name mm. you through the teams that Arsenal could be drawing in the next round. And there are some teams here that, you know, I reckon Arsenal could get a favourable draw. Uh, so we can face, obviously, after the yesterday's win and the draw comes on Monday. PSG, Inter Milan, Lazio, Napoli, Porto, RB Leipzig and FC Copenhagen. 
How does that sound to mm. you? And Paris Saint-Germain stands out straight away. Kylian Mbappe at the Emirates Stadium versus William Saliba. It would be a titanic battle. But do you... How, yeah, how, early negotiation. Yeah, it may, may be so, <laughs> maybe so. And, you know, the more we go through, the more we can pay for Mbappe's wages next year, who is on, by the way, a free mm. transfer. We'll talk about that. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, more in general, in terms of the Champions League draw, what team do you look at and go, I want that team in the next round? That is perfect for our... I don't think if it's too easy... It won't be enough of a test. Mm. I think like I, I want a bit of a semi-test to get us ready, maybe like a Leipzig or someone like that. Who do you think? Um, so I, I would love a Lazio, Lazio for me okay. uh, with Maurizio Sarri because I think that's a big enough team that the boys wouldn't say, oh, that's an easy team to go against. They're pretty much a consistent Champions League quality team, but they're quite poor, especially physically. As a Maurizio Sarri team, they move the ball quite slow, quite tempo-wise, and I think we could overpower them very easily physically. Um, I'm not in the boat of just give me PSG off the bat. I'm somebody that knows that we have made mistakes in Europe. Yeah. Um, even under Mikel, Olympiacos, Sporting, um, Villarreal, um, all teams that we should have, in theory, beaten on quality that we made mistakes on. And so I, I also believe that, you know, you look at Timber, by the way, he's going to be back for me mid-February towards the end of February, right? That's right around round of 16. I would much rather us progress to the quarterfinals and um, have a better chance of integrating him as being match sharp, right? It's one thing to be back in the squad, but it's another thing to be match sharp with some of the longer term injuries that we've got. So I, I do think that it makes more sense for me to meet a bigger team a little bit later on in the competition. Also, just for our own uh, pedigree, when's the last time we've even got a quarterfinal entry to the Champions League? I think the last time the cha the round of 16 has been almost a decade. 2010, yeah. Barcelona, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so I, it's not as though that we're regulars in this competition, so I'm not looking towards um, having an insanely difficult uh, opponent. And I think PSG are a wild card, mate. Like, mm. they're... Their attack is something that you don't like in knockout competitions. No matter how great we are in terms of being, in my opinion, the best out-of-possession team in the world, not just the league, but in the world, it means that we definitely have a better chance than others of controlling high-level attacks. But uh, on the whole, you basically make a bet who whose attack can beat each other in 180 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that is something with Mbappe that I can't say of our own attack. It's the one weakness that I would say. Um, they have more potential. Um, I think we can do more. And I think if we were to draw against them, I'd still be confident of us getting a result. But it would uh, it would be close. It would not be a comfortable game. It wouldn't be something I'm a, I approve of. And I know people don't want to hear this, but mate, we have already earned over 77 million euros from being in the Champions League. This isn't chump change, okay? And this is significant. And in fact, with Newcastle and United being out of Europe entirely, the market pool of the revenue that gets shared in the Champions League is greater towards City and Arsenal. Yeah. So the longer that we go through, the more pot of money that we get. And I'm sorry, people don't want to hear it, but it's significant. And it isn't small sums of money like the Europa League, right? Each game, by the way, each win, that's why Mikel, by the way, wanted to win with youth. It was worth 2.8 million euros. I don't care if you're a billionaire, you're not wasting 2.8 million euros. That, that is a significant amount of money. So you want to win and you want to progress as much as you can. So for me, yeah, give me a Lazio because I'm with you. Uh, Leipzig is is okay. I think we would beat them. But again, physical transition team. Mm. It's not something I love in knockout competitions. You know, I, I do look towards the slower tempo, the builders, the possession guys, because I think we have too much pace and power, not to become cliche, mm. to overpower these types of teams. 
right? And the central running power is key in knockouts. Bingo. I I, I, <laughs> I think, honestly, you know, you're right. Money is a, is a massive part. You know, the more we get further, we get some more money and it'll be useful for transfers. So let's talk about transfers. Ivan Tony. Uh, there's rumours coming mm. up recently from, I'd say, fairly reliable reports that Arsenal are looking at a potential loan deal. Now, how much that would make sense for Brentford is, for me, I'm a bit unsure because I'm pretty sure Mbomo's going to AFCON and they're losing a few more attackers as well. Why would they let go yeah. of their other key attacker who they waited all these months to come back for on a loan transfer? Unless, of course, there was an option or obligation to buy. Is that something that you would pursue as a potential? You know, I, I think if Arsenal, for me, are going to sign a big-name player, of expensive signing will be more of a defender. And I think any attacking signing will be more of a loan, short-term deal. What do you make of it? Thanks for checking out the Canon Podcast. To hear the full episode, sign up as a YouTube member on this channel or go to patreon.com forward slash the Pod. Sports Social Podcast Network.